I'm excited to be here with you this morning, and by this point, you've probably figured out that I'm not Pastor Jason, and you would be correct in assuming that. I know I have a lot of baldness, but I still have some hair, so uh, I am not Pastor Jason, though. My name is Hunter Sewell. I'm the college pastor here at Living Hope, and I'm super excited to be with you this morning. I've listened to many, many sermons preached from this very stage. I never in a million years dreamed that I would be here, but God has a great bigger, much bigger plan. It's always greater than any plan that we can come up with. Um, so here I am. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I grew up here in Bowling Green. My, my mom and dad went to Western. Uh, they graduated there and then stayed here in Bowling Green and have been attending Living Hope and members here for a long, long time. Uh, they raised me from a very early age to know who God was and what he had done for me in Christ. Uh, at age seven, I was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and I began to walk with him. And I grew up here in the church, and my story, uh, like many who've grown up in the church, is Uh, One of me being a knucklehead and and getting myself into trouble. And uh, the Lord continued to be faithful to me and calling me back to himself. Uh, God has been so great and so faithful to me and so good to me. And I want to live my life in in a way that makes everybody else aware of of what he's done in Christ. After graduating from Western, I got a business degree at Western. And uh, after graduating, I married my middle school sweetheart, Holly. And uh, it's one of the greatest privileges of my life to be her husband. We have a little dog named Theo. I actually got a Christmas present, and uh, it's probably my favorite, one of my favorite Christmas presents I've ever gotten, but I, uh, it socks with his face on him. So <laughs> I'm super excited about that this morning, too, uh, but I'm just really thankful to be here. I'm honored to be able to, to, to preach from God's Word to you this morning, and I'm really excited about our text. Our text this morning comes from the book of Habakkuk. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, so if you would flip with me there. Now, just to give you a little bit about Habakkuk, it's probably not a book that many of you have read. Uh, in a while. And if you have read it, it might be one that's a little bit confusing. There's a lot of things going on. But in the middle of the book of Habakkuk, we find this promise in chapter 2, verse 14. Now, this is a promise that has been very transformational in my life and the way that I think about my life. And I pray it is one that will be transformational for your life and for our, the life of our church family, uh, just as a, as a church as well. And so I'm going to read this for us, and then I'm going to ask God to bless our time. So here's what Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And let's pray. Father, we're so grateful again for this opportunity we have to gather together as your church, as your bride, to come and to sit uh, and to study your word. God, I'm thankful for this time that we've had to to sing your praises uh, as we sang. And now we're going to open your word. And God, I pray that you would bless our time here. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me and that your spirit would preach a better sermon than one I could ever write. Lord, I pray that you'd be magnified and you'd be exalted. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the obedience to respond as you're prompting us. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So for context purposes, in the book of Habakkuk, the Babylonians are kind of the, they're the empire, uh, they're the, kind of the, the dominator of the world at this time. So they are marching from city to city, capturing cities. This is around 700 BC. They're capturing cities and taking over kingdoms, and they're seeking to build an empire for themselves. And what they're trying to do is to try to draw everybody's attention to themselves. They were trying to make themselves like God. Many of the Babylonians actually believed that they were God. So what they were trying to do is to fill the earth. They were trying to, to take over the world. And they were trying to fill the earth with the knowledge of Babylon. They were trying to get everybody to look at them and say, wow, they are so cool. And almost in a sense to worship them. But we know that God is a jealous God. And he's a passionate God. And he's passionate about his own glory. In Isaiah, he says he will not share his glory with anyone, anything, any person, any kingdom. Nothing God will share his glory with. In a sense of, you know, they have glory and he has glory. He alone is to be glorified. 
So in response to what the Babylonians were doing, God promised that he was going to bring their kingdom to ruin and that his glory would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the verse we read this morning. And so this idea of God filling the earth with his glory leads us to ask the question, well, what is God's glory? And this is a quote from John Piper, who's one of my favorite pastors, to study and to, to read his material. But John Piper says that God's glory is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. So in other words, God's glory is the sum of his attributes that makes him who he is. It's his beauty, it's his majesty, it's his worth, it's his holiness, it's his purity. It's, that's, it's who God is. It's the worthiness of God to be God. And he's revealed his glory to us so that we might know him and his plan of salvation. So if you're taking notes with us this morning, the first point is this, that God's glory is made known through his revelation. God's glory is made known through his revelation. So there's three primary ways in which God reveals his glory to us or has revealed his glory to us. The first one is through creation. So this is what uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So we can look at the heavens and we can see the glory of God because he created it. And what we create is an expression of who we are. So I was reading through a a magazine or kind of looking for some illustrations and I came across this article online that said uh, that your home decor tells a whole lot about who you are. So I I clicked on it and started reading through it. And the first one was that if your desk is really messy, that means that you're going places. And I will admit that my desk is very messy. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going places or if I'm just very unorganized. But for the sake of positivity, we'll say that I'm going places. But they said if your desk is very messy, that means you're going places. <laughs> if you're, if you're <laughs> it also said if you have a whole bunch of picture frames on the wall, pictures of you know, family and things like that, then you have a nostalgic personality. And that's my mom. We have pictures all over our house. If you've ever been to our house, pictures everywhere of memories of different sports teams and all kinds of stuff. And she's a very nostalgic person. She has that personality. The other one I thought was really interesting was based on the arrangement of your living room furniture. So if your furniture is facing each other, you know, it means that you have more of a social life because people can talk to each other. But if you're like me, uh, like we have at our house, our furniture in the living room is facing the TV. So that must mean we're not very social. Uh, I I don't know, but Anyway, the point being is that what we make is an expression, what we create is an expression of who we are. And so I love that I can look at creation and I can see the glory of God. I can see his beauty. I can see his wisdom. I can see his power. This is a picture that uh, my mom actually took on Christmas Eve. And so if you came to a Christmas Eve service, you probably walked out and were greeted with this sunset. And I love to look at sunsets like this, you know, all those different colors. And I love to see the sunsets and to see pictures of snow-capped mountains and to look at those beautiful white sandy beaches and wish I was there. And I love to look at pictures of the galaxy. And I love to look at all these things because they scream the glory of God. They proclaim, they declare God's glory. But not only does creation, the things that are outside of us that declare God's glory, but we ourselves, human beings, we declare God's glory. We proclaim God's glory. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, God says that everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and who I made. So we know that in Genesis 1, God created human beings in his image. And he created us to be image bearers and glory reflectors. So he created us to reflect his glory. So all of creation, everything that's outside of us and ourselves included, we all display God's glory. From the most minute detail about the way our bodies are knit together to the grandeur of the cosmos, all of it proclaims the majesty and the wonder and the the purity and the holiness and worthiness of God. It proclaims his glory. Secondly, God reveals himself to us through his word. God reveals himself to his word. 
the Bible is God's revelation about himself to man. It's not man's word about God, but it's God's word about himself to us. And in our church's articles of faith, you'll find this statement. We believe that the 66 books of the Bible were written by men inspired by God, that it's God's only written revelation of himself and his standards for mankind, that it's without error in the original manuscripts, that it's worthy of our trust, it's sufficient for explaining salvation, and it's authoritative for faith and life. So we believe that God's word, our Bible, is actually his word, that it's 66 books that tell one big story, and it's God's plan to save sinners for his own glory. And it tells it in four parts, so creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. You may be familiar with these slides. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read that God created the world, and at the end, he declared that it was good. It was very good. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and they plunged all of humanity and all of creation under the curse of sin. So we experience brokenness. We experience a separation from God because of our sin. But God didn't leave us there. And that's, that's, this is the gospel message, that Christ has come and he's made a way for us to be reconciled. Even in the midst of God handing out the, the punishment for sin in Genesis 3, God promised that there was going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a Redeemer. There's going to be one who comes and makes all things right. And we know that that ultimately comes to completion in Christ. So the Old Testament is the telling and revealing of God's glory and the specific identity of who Christ would be and what he would do. And then ultimately Christ comes which is what we, we just finished celebrating at Christmas, that Christ has come, and because he's come, God's plan of salvation has been made known. And so that's the third way. Christ is the third way that God reveals his glory to us. It's through the person of Christ. So this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one, that long ago, and in many, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. And this is the phrase that I love. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that phrase that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God means that when we look at Christ, we can see who God is. When we see the way that he treated people, when we see the way that he dealt with sin, we can see what God is like. So when we look at how Jesus spoke to the poor, we see his kindness. We see Jesus and we see God's power in the way that he healed the sick simply by speaking a word. We see his holiness in the way that he rebuked sin. We see his authority in the way that he called the dead back to life. We see his love in the face that as he came to die for us. So in the face of Jesus, we see what God is like. We see his glory. And as Christ came, as he lived a perfect life, he died a substitutionary death. And then he went to the grave and rose triumphantly from the grave. We can see God's plan of salvation that's been unfolded. So Christ, the eternal son of God, put on flesh. He came to live as a human being. And he lived as a human being. He lived the perfect, sinless life that we were designed to live. And he died the substitutionary death for the penalty of sins on our behalf. And as Christ died, he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and brought into a relationship with God, restored in a right relationship. And the cross of Christ is a huge deal to us. The cross of Christ is central to the claims of Christianity. If Christ didn't die for us, then we have no hope. We just finished singing three songs about the importance of the cross. But I think a lot of times we, we maybe misunderstand the, the point of the cross. I think a lot of times we look at the cross as a way to determine our own value. And to say that, well, if, if, God loves, if God went to the cross for me, then he must love me this much. And yes, he absolutely does. He loves us a tremendous amount. And it's breathtaking how much that he loves us, that he would come and he would give himself for us. But the cross is primarily about God's glory. The focus of it is first and foremost about his glory. So 
at the cross, God was just to punish sin because the, the demands of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so at the cross, Christ paid the penalty for death on our behalf. And also at the cross, God is justifier. He's the justifier of sinners, which means that he makes a way for us to be brought back into a right relationship through the sacrifice of his son, Christ. So the cross is primarily about God's value, about his glory, about his worth. It's a declaration by God that he is holy and that he will not tolerate sin. But it's also a declaration of his love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. He's made a way for sinners to become sons and daughters. And at the cross, God's glory is put on full display. And if we trust what Christ has done on the cross, that he died for our sins and that he rose from the grave, then scripture tells us that we'll be saved. So by grace, through faith in Christ alone, we can be forgiven of our sins and we can have an eternal life in heaven with God. And all glory goes to God for that. So God has revealed his glory to us. He's given us this knowledge of his glory. We can see it in creation. We can understand his plan of salvation through scripture and we can experience salvation through Christ who is the radiance of God's glory. And what the apostle Paul says is if we have experienced salvation, then God has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. So I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of phrases in here, but the, the phrase I think is key is that God has given us this knowledge of his glory. So God has made us aware of Christ. He's made us aware of what Christ has done and how we can be saved. And so what this is telling us is that we as followers of Christ become, become a part of God's plan to reveal his glory to the nations, to, to fill the earth with his glory. So the second note in your bulletin, if you're taking notes, is this, that God's glory is made known through our proclamation. God's glory is made known through our proclamation. So I want to take us back to Habakkuk for a few minutes. And there's two things that I want to make sure that we all see here in Habakkuk. So I'm going to read uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 again for us. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the first thing I want you to see is that the earth will be filled. It will be filled. So this is a, in the Hebrew, that's all one word, and it's an imperfect tense. So it's a, a word in the imperfect tense, meaning that this is an ongoing, uncompleted action, that it hasn't been fully completed yet. So in, and you, you take a step back from this and you say, okay, well, on one hand, you just said that God's glory has been revealed through creation, and all of us can see it. And yes, that is true. We can see God's glory in creation. Romans 1 tells us that we are held accountable for our relationship with God, for our sin, because we can see God in creation. So we know that he has revealed his glory to us. On the other end, you, you look at and you know what the end of the story looks like. Christ is going to return. And when he returns, scripture says that every eye will see and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So on either end of history, on the bookmarks, the bookends of history, God's glory is revealed and God's glory will be revealed. And something that will happen on either end. And we know that it's happened on either end. But there's this sense in which this is an ongoing, uncompleted sense in which God's glory is still continuing to fill the earth. And the aspect that I want to focus on this morning is that aspect. That God's still continuing to give us this knowledge of his glory, specifically through the person and work of Christ. It's the gospel message. The second thing I want us to see is, that, is the depth at which God's glory will fill the earth. So he said that, God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. So the meaning here is that the earth will be completely, utterly, awesomely, totally, perfectly filled with the knowledge of his glory. There won't be a crevice. There won't be a, a hole in the ground. There won't be a depth in the ocean or a height on the mountain. No, no dark corner. Nothing, there's, there is nothing that will not know, that will not be filled with this knowledge 
of God's glory. So this promise here in Habakkuk 2.14 is an ongoing, unfinished promise that the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God's glory completely and entirely. And the means by which God is going to do this is through our proclamation, through his people's proclamation of the gospel. So we read in Psalm 19 that creation reveals God's glory and it proclaims his handiwork. So again, creation is sufficient to tell us that there is a God and it's sufficient to tell us that we owe our lives to him. But creation is not sufficient to tell us how we can know him or how we can be saved from our sin. That knowledge is specifically given to us through God's word, through the person and work of Christ. So the apostle Paul in Romans chapter five writes that faith is the only means by which we can be justified. So we're justified through our faith. When we're justified, that means we're forgiven of our sins and we're declared righteous before God. So faith in Christ is, is what justifies us. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you track that logic, he says, to be justified, you have to have faith in Christ. And to have faith in Christ, you must hear the gospel, you must respond to it, and you must believe it. Does that make sense? So you have to hear the gospel to be able to have faith in it. And faith is what justifies us because of what Christ did on the cross. But here's the reality. People don't know the gospel message. People don't understand what Christ has done for them. The Joshua Project is a, a company that does a lot of uh, statistical data for missions organizations. And they estimate that there are 7,368 people groups who are considered unreached, which means that less than 2% of, those, of the people in those 7,368 people groups have heard the gospel and have responded. So if you translate that into, into numbers of people, that's about 3.2 billion people. 3.2 billion people, roughly 42% of our earth's population has not heard the gospel. It does not believe the gospel. And they're headed towards a godless eternity because they have not heard. And because they haven't heard, they haven't believed. 3.2 billion people. But what's even worse than being lost is being lost with no one looking for you. Of those 7,368 people groups, 3,200 of them are considered unreached and unengaged, which means that there are few to no Christians and that there is no active missionary strategy in sharing the gospel with these people. 220 million people that are lost and there's nobody looking for them. Not a single person is making an attempt to share the gospel with them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the apostle Paul writes that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is a glorious promise that we hold on to, that anybody who trusts Christ for their salvation who believes in his life, his death, and his resurrection will be forgiven of their sins, and we will be saved. But Paul follows that up in verse 14 with this question. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? So how will those 3.2 billion people call upon Jesus for salvation? And how will those 220 million people hear about the God who loves them and the God who's given himself so that they might be forgiven of their sins? And the hard answer is that they won't and that they can't. They won't call on Jesus. They can't call on Jesus for their salvation because they've not believed in him. And they can't believe in him and they won't believe in him because they've never heard of him. And I pray that that breaks our hearts. I know sometimes those can just be statistics, but I pray that that would sink in and that would crush our hearts because it crushes mine. That there are billions of people that do not have this saving knowledge of Christ that you and I hold so dear. Every year, uh, our college ministry takes a trip to East Asia uh, for a mission trip. And we go with the purpose of sharing the gospel with college students in, in hopes that they might hear and, and believe the gospel. And one of, the, the, one of my favorite and also one of the hardest things to do is when we go to a, a Buddhist temple. And so we'll take our team to a Buddhist temple and 
We'll gather with a few local believers there and we'll pray. We'll pray that God would open our eyes to see the spiritual darkness uh, that's around. Right there, not only just there, but in the world in general. And we, we cross this threshold of this temple and you're immediately greeted by a 15 foot statue of Buddha. Big golden statue of Buddha. And you look at it and kind of, you feel the weight. It's like putting a weighted backpack on your soul when you walk in there. And as you go throughout the rest of the temple, you, you see different images of, of different Buddhas and depicting different things. And in some places he's angry, in other places he's really happy. In some places he's giving people money, in other places he's offering security or peace or whatever. So you go, the way it works is you go to, uh, at least from my understanding, you go to these temples and you buy incense and then you take the incense and you burn them before the Buddha. And you burn them before him and you pray and you hope that he responds. And you know, you, you're communicating with these statues. And as hard as it is to see all that, that's just what they are to me. They're statues. They're images, they're big statues that aren't life, aren't, aren't lifelike. They, they, don't, they can't communicate with me. There's just a statue. And I know that. But what really crushes my soul and what really, what really gets me emotional is to see a family offering prayers. We were there uh, two years ago, or it was, yeah, two years ago, and we met this family of a little girl, and she's four years old. And we began to have a conversation, uh, some of our friends did, in, in the language, and they began to tell her that this little girl has a, a life debilitating disease. And so they, this family, this, this mom and this grandma will come to the temple once a week and they'll um, buy incense and they'll, offer they'll, they'll burn them as a sacrifice and they'll, they'll pray to these Buddhas. And what hurts my heart the most is that this little girl is gonna grow up going to the temple every day and praying to a God that will never hear her, a God that cannot respond to her and a God that has no love for her. And everything inside of me just wants to scream and say, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares for you. There is a God and he's coming, he's died for you. His name is Jesus and he's wonderful and he's glorious. And I pray so much that she'd be filled with his love, that she would know him and be saved from her sins and have an eternity with God. But how is she gonna call on Jesus in whom she's never heard? How is she gonna hear about him unless someone tells her? And this is where we as a church get to come into play. This is where our responsibility gets, to, we get to join in where God's at work. Because God's plan to fulfill the earth to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory is through our obedience to proclaim the gospel. As followers of Christ, this is what God has called each and every single one of us to, from the greatest and the oldest to the youngest and the smallest. We are all called to be disciple makers, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that God has come and he's made a way for us to be forgiven of sins by grace through faith in Christ alone. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, the knowledge of God's glory and the way that he is going to fulfill his promise in Habakkuk that the whole earth is gonna be filled completely and totally with the knowledge of his glory is through our proclamation of the gospel message. We have the privilege of doing something that nothing else in all of creation gets to do. And so if you think about the most beautiful place that you have ever been, whether it's a mountains or if it was beaches or if, if you've been in space or, or wherever, the, the most beautiful place that you've ever been to, think about that image in your mind and think about how that reveals God's glory to you. But then think about and, and consider that we have, through the proclamation of the gospel message, we have a responsibility and we get the privilege of proclaiming God's glory through the gospel message that nothing else in creation gets to do. 
That we have the privilege of sharing a life and eternity transforming truth that God has come and he has died for us. And his name is Jesus and we can have a relationship with him. We get the responsibility to do that. And so we go and we proclaim. We must go and we must proclaim the gospel. We go and we proclaim the gospel. And it's not that God can't save people apart from us, but the way that he has ordained that salvation happens is through our proclamation of the gospel. And it's often that God is already working behind the scenes and bringing this person. And then he brings another person who's obedient and they bring them together and they're saved. As I was preparing this uh, sermon, I was thinking about one of the gentlemen that we met on another trip in East Asia. And uh, many of you might remember Tyler Whitmer. He was the, the team leader at the time. And so we're on this trip to go share the gospel with college students. And uh, on one of the days, we had a few minutes, a few extra minutes before we had to be at campus. And we decided to go to this park and just to kind of see some more of the culture, see what was going on. So we're in this park uh, and we decided, we, you know, kind of take off walking and we made a wrong turn and we ended up in a part of the park that uh, we didn't mean to go to, but it was kind of cool because we got to see some, some of the culture, some people doing uh, some artistic movements and stretching and I don't know exactly know what was going on, but there's some stuff going on that people were practicing part of their culture. And so we're standing there just kind of taking all this in and uh, you kind of granted because we're just had never seen anything like this before. And so all of a sudden this 70-ish year old man comes walking up to Tyler and in very plain English, he says, hey, what are you guys doing here? So immediately <laughs> alarm bells are going off. Like this guy's not supposed to be able to speak English this well. We've been told that if there's a gentleman who, or if there's anybody really kind of older than our age that can speak English well, it's probably not a good idea to talk to them because they may be part of the police. And, you know, we just, let's just not take that chance because we don't get anybody in trouble. So we're like, okay. So sure enough, this guy approaches us. Tyler begins to engage in a conversation. So I like, I don't want Tyler. But as you know, Tyler, that would make sense because that's what Tyler's about. And so Tyler began to talk to this man and he began to ask him how he knew English so well. And this guy shared with Tyler that when he was in his 20s, he was an ambassador to the United Kingdom. And as he was trying to, to practice his English and to get better at his English, somebody gave him a copy of a book about Jesus. And he had no idea who Jesus was and really wasn't all that interested in it. His attention was kind of peaked and or his interest was kind of peaked, and, uh, but it was never enough to really kind of continue to explore. And so this man finished his ambassadorial work, comes back. So I, I want you to just picture this. You've got a 70-year-old man in the middle of a city of 5 million people in a park in the middle of this city who knows English and who has heard about Jesus. On the other side, you have us, a whole bunch of white American kids from college that have gone to this country to share the gospel with college students. We went to a park because we had some extra time. We went to a different part of the park because we made a wrong turn. We had a conversation with a guy that we were never supposed to have a conversation with because he could speak English and he was older. And we had a conversation with a guy in English that was from a very different country that does not speak English. So everything in, everything in that should have said, there's no way for these people to be brought together. There's no way that these two people can be friends. There's no way that they can communicate. Yet they communicated, Tyler shared the gospel with this man. He said, I've been waiting 40 years for somebody to tell me about who this Jesus is. He said, I've been waiting 40 years for somebody to come and tell me why Jesus is such a big deal. And he trusted Christ for salvation right then and right there. And it was glorious. I've never been a part of anything like that before, but I watched this happen. And this is what happens when we go and we proclaim the gospel. God is already at work in these people's hearts, in, in people's hearts, not just people on the other side of the world, but in people right here in Bowling Green. 
And as he's working in their hearts, he's prompting us to go and to be obedient. And as we go and we share the gospel message and as the spirit works in their hearts, they trust Christ for salvation. And what happens is the knowledge of God's glory fills their heart. And they too become just like what Paul talked about, people who God has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. They too have that knowledge. And then they go and they share that knowledge with somebody else. And as more and more and more people hear the gospel message and believe the gospel message, God's glory fills the earth more and more and more and more. This is how God has said that this will work. But my goal this morning isn't to convince you to move to the other side of the world. I understand that the the reality of of these truths is that if we don't go, then men like that guy that we met in East Asia and little girls like the little girl we encountered in the temple, they will not hear about Christ. And if they do not hear about Christ, they will not have faith. And if they do not have faith, they cannot have an eternal relationship with God. They cannot be forgiven of their sins. So we must go. We've got to go. We've got to send people. We've got to give of ourselves financially. We've got to give of ourselves sacrificially. We have to go. But again, my My goal this morning is not to convince all of us to pick up our lives and to move to the other side of the world. If that's what God's calling you to do and he's put that on your heart, then by all means, please go. We need people to go. I often pray that God would send me and my family, but for most of us, God has put us right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky with specific jobs, specific friends, specific resources, and specific opportunities to leverage our lives so that other people might hear the gospel right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So my prayer this morning and my hope this morning is that you begin to ask yourself, how can you leverage your life for the gospel? This is a quote from J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in North Carolina, uh, that I I think this quote is so great. He says that the question is no longer if we're called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission. It's only a matter of where and how. And so my hope for each of us this morning, individually and each of us corporately as the Living Hope Church family, begin to ask ourselves these questions. Where is it that I can leverage my life for the gospel and how can I leverage my life for the gospel? And my prayer is that as we ask ourselves those questions, the spirit of God would stir in our hearts and that we would be consumed with a passion to make God's glory known, to be consumed with a passion to share the gospel and to proclaim that God is good, that he has come and that Christ is salvation. That's my prayer. My hope is that we would be so passionate about this right here in Bowling Green and that I know that if we're passionate about this right here in Bowling Green, that it's only a matter of time before we spill out and we have a desire to take the gospel and the glory of God to the end of the earth. That's what I'm hoping would happen. So my question for each of us this morning to ask ourselves as we're starting to think about a new year, a new decade, my question for us this morning is in 2020, are we gonna be found being obedient or disobedient? Are we gonna be found being obedient to God and spending our lives for the spread of his glory and sharing the proclamation of his gospel? Or are we gonna be found being disobedient? Are we gonna be filled with more passion about financial security? Or are we gonna be filled with passion to make Christ crucified known? Are we filled with passion about our fitness goals and getting to the gym more often and all those kinds of things? Are we gonna be more passionate about sharing the gospel of Christ with our neighbors? Are we more passionate about reading more books or traveling on vacation or starting new hobbies or whatever it is that we've said our 2020 New Year's resolutions are? Are we going to be more passionate about those or be passionate about something that has eternal significance in proclaiming the truth of the gospel? Which are we going to be more passionate about? And to take it one step even further, throughout the rest of our lives, what's the legacy that we're going to leave? What's the legacy that I, Hunter Sewell, am going to leave? What's the legacy that we as living hope are gonna leave? Is it gonna be one of financial security and one of great memories and lots of fun and accolades? Or is it gonna be one of a legacy of disciple making and 
proclamation of the gospel so that God might be glorified. What's the legacy that we're going to leave? I've often heard Pastor Jason ask the question, will there be anybody in heaven because of your obedience? I think that's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. What are we going to be passionate about? What are we going to commit to? And my hope this morning is that, that we, myself included, would commit to being passionate about making the gospel known so that some might come to saving faith. And if you have committed to that, then great. If you haven't committed to that, then today, there's no better day than today to start. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ for your salvation, that's the place that you start. If you've said, if, if you can't say that I've trusted Christ for my salvation, I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then, then I want to encourage you to come get on your knees and to ask God to save you. We read that promise in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a promise we can hold to. So come and be saved this morning. But if you are like me and you have trusted Christ for your salvation, then, then my, my prayer for us or my challenge for us this morning is to be committed, to make a commitment that we would be passionate about the gospel. We'd be more passionate about what God has done for us than we'd be passionate about anything else in the rest of our lives. And on a very practical level, I would encourage you next week to come as Pastor Jason is going to be doing a, a, a training, a teaching on how to share the gospel and what it looks like. There's also an equip course. If you, if you look through your bulletin, there's a, a guide for the equip courses. And one of them is called Intersections. And Pastor David has written a really good curriculum. And Pastor Benny and Pastor Clay, who are missions pastors, are going to be walking us through what it looks like to share the gospel inside of everyday conversations. And I also want to challenge you on a very practical level to think about one person this week that you can share the gospel with. I think it's great for us to say, yes, I'm making a commitment to this, but what does that look like? And so I think the first step for us is to to, to sit and to ask God to give us a person that we can share Christ with this week, to write that person's name down and to begin to pray for them and then to actually follow through in obedience, to ask him to go get lunch, to ask him to coffee, to ask him to have a conversation and to share the gospel with them boldly and faithfully that they might hear the gospel and be saved. Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory as the waters cover the sea. God has made known to us his glory through creation. He's revealed his glorious plan of salvation through his word. And he's given us, a, the, he's, he's brought salvation to us through Christ, who is the radiance of God's glory. And he's commanded us as followers of Christ to leverage our lives for the gospel, to leverage our lives wherever we are and however we can so that Christ might be proclaimed and others might come to saving faith in him. So the question for us is, will we be obedient? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for this time that we've had to, to study your word. And I pray, God, that even as I, I planned this sermon and as I wrote all these things out, that your spirit would, would preach a better sermon than I could ever dream to write. Pray, God, that you would work in each of our hearts as we sit here in these moments and to think about what it is that we've committed our lives to. And I pray, God, that you would give us a passion for your glory. I pray that you give us a passion for sharing the gospel so that some might hear about you, that they might hear about what you've done in Christ and how you've come and how you've died so that we might be able to be saved from our sin and to have a relationship with you. Oh God, you're so glorious. You're so worthy of our worship. You're worthy of all of our lives. Pray, Father, that you would help us to give them to you now in these moments. In Christ's name, amen.